So we are in today, I thought it would be interesting to, to uh, do a little sermon. Well, it's not a little sermon. It's going to be full length. You guys aren't going to get, I'm not going to short it. Uh, and what do you do when it's not fun anymore? Anybody ever get the holiday blues? You, you get, you know, you, you have all of these uh, people calling you up saying, oh, can you come do this? Can you come do that? There's all of these things. And, and you have this expectation of the perfect Christmas, and all of a sudden it's not there. Or maybe it's your first Christmas, uh, going to be your first Christmas without without your loved one, without, uh, in a new home, maybe in a new place. And, and it's, you kind of go, huh, maybe it's your first Christmas retired. That's pretty cool. But then you're kind of like going, well, all those things I, I thought I wanted to do, I don't get to do. And sometimes we can get ourselves down. And so I'm going to, uh, this message today on, is on what do you do when it's not fun anymore? And it comes out of the book of, of 1 Kings, and so you can turn over to 1 Kings 19, but I, I want to give you a setup for this guy by the name of Elijah. Anybody know who Elijah is with a J? Elijah, he's, he was a prophet, and he was a pretty cool guy. I mean, Elijah, if you go back to... Uh, to chapter 17, Elijah, there was a drought, and Elijah was sent to a widow. And if you remember the story, he says, hey, listen, she, she's, she's making her last bit of flour and her last bit of oil to make cakes for her and her son. And, and she says, and he comes up and he says, hey, will you make me one? And she says, this is our last. We're going to eat this and we're going to die. And Elijah says, just listen to the word of God. And if you'll do this, God will bless you. And she does. She makes a cake for him. And, not one, and then the flour and the oil never run out. And he stays with her. He stays with this widow lady and her son. And one day her son dies. And she comes to Elijah and she says, oh. You know, why, why did you let me go through all of this and let my son die? And Elijah said, wait a second. And he went, and he went in with the young man, and he brought him back to life. He, brought, he resurrected him from death. That was Elijah. And then later on, in the next chapter, he goes up against 850 Priests for uh, uh, foreign idols on top of Mount Carmel. And you remember the story how he stood up on top of Mount Carmel and he said, the God who answers by fire. And 450 of those priests were Baal worshipers and Baal was the God of fire. And he said, you take your oxen and you build an altar over here and I'm going to take my oxen and I'm going to build an altar over here. And let's see who answers by fire. And all those priests ran around and they were cutting themselves and they were praying and, they, and, and, and Elijah actually mocks them at one point. He says, is your God on vacation? Is your God asleep? And then, and then Elijah, 
he, he tells the children of Israel. He says, go get some water. Now, in, they've been in drought for three years. He said, go get water and, and pour it on here. And he gets 12 barrels full of water until they have to build a ditch around it. And then he calls on God, and God comes down. And he not only consumes the oxen, but he consumes the rocks and licks up the water in the trough. And then he kills 850 of those priests of foreign idols. And he goes out, and he goes out and he prays. He says, God, send the rain. And if you remember the story, he sends his, his servant out. And he says, I don't see anything on the horizon. He says, go back. And he comes back and he, finally he says, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says, get up and run because the rain's coming. And the rain comes for the first time in three years. That is the setup for chapter 19. Elijah has been doing all of this in the name of the Lord. He has been the chief prophet that has stand and said, Israel, you have sinned, and you, if you don't repent, God is going to judge you. He's been doing this for three years. And then we come to ver chapter 19. I want you to turn to chapter 19. And we're going to read 1 through 18. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid, and he rose, and ran for his life and came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am not better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under the juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there by his head was a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came to him a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and he ate and drank and he went on the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous, zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And so he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. 
And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a still, small voice. And then Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, the voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And then Elijah said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you will anoint Hazael king over Aram. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint over the king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shephet, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall come about that the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees who have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Wow. Is Elijah in a bad way? I mean, this guy's suicidal. He said, he said just let me die. Let me die. It's enough. Have you ever... Come to the point where you just said, I'm done. Well, that's where Elijah was. Crawled up underneath the tree. Well, I want to talk about a few things that cause this and a few ways that we can overcome if you're in that position. First of all, I want you to realize that Elijah listened to what the world had to say. He listened to what Jezebel had to say. Now, why is that a problem? Is he listening to the wrong person? Absolutely. Because God had just shown up in fire. God had just done a, a magnificent work. And when he listened to what God had to say, he was doing okay. But when he listened to the world, what happened? It said he was... Afraid. What does the world spout? Fear. Have you listened? Fear. That's what the world said. I mean, fear, fear, we, we, you know, if you say something about somebody that, that has a different lifestyle, you're, you're homophobic. Right? What does that mean? Fear of. If, you, if somebody has a different uh, view of, of somebody, it's, it's a phobia. It's a fear of. And that's what the world spouts is fear. Rick Warren 
says this, and I absolutely love it. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise your convictions to be compassionate. You see, we can love people and hate their sin. But we still have to love them. That's the key part. We have to love them. And we need to, we need to be able to not buy into the lie that you can hate sin and not love the person. We still love them for who they are. We still love them for the fact that God loves them, right? When, when we read John 3, 16, does it say, and God so love the world? Does it say, for God so love the people who believe like us, right? It says, for God so loved the world. Well, Isaiah has something interesting to say. Anybody, anybody ever read anything here recently about conspiracies? <laughs> Isaiah, Isaiah wrote, you are not to say it's a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. You are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. Amen? Isaiah 8.12, write that down post it up on your, on your television. Right? Okay, so every time it comes on, you're like going to say, oh, you know, I'm not going to fear what they fear. I don't, I don't fear death. Everybody says, oh, yeah, we don't want to die. I don't fear death. Because death is what? Eternal life. I'm home. Finally home. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Amen? You know, anxiety is the number one mental illness in the United States today. Over 18% of the people that you meet on the street have a diagnosable illness of anxiety. We live in an anxious world. But God says, what? Don't be anxious. You're looking at the wrong thing. Look at me. And that's what Elijah forgot to do. He forgot to look at God. And he gets to the point where he sits down under the tree and says, it's enough. Well, I want you to look at how God responded. First of all, God took care of his physical needs. That's one of the things a lot of times we, oh, well, it's all about spirituality. Well, folks, if we don't take care of our physical needs, it's kind of hard to be spiritual, right? So, so God took care of Elijah's phys physical needs. Elijah fell asleep. 
Sometimes what we need to do to overcome the sense of that it's not funny anymore is we need to take care of ourselves. We need to eat right. We need to get rest. Those are important things. When I was, uh, when my son was blown up in Iraq, I flew to uh, I flew to San Antonio, Texas, to Brook Army Medical Center to meet him when he, got, when he flew in on his uh, ambulance flight. And every night at 10 o'clock when they would kick me out, make me go back to the hotel, I would call my mom and give her an update because he was having surgeries about every third day and, and different things were coming out. And so I'd call my mom. And I'd let her know, and then she would call all the family and let everybody know how to pray for the next day. And every night before my mom would hang up, she said this, you take care of my son so he can take care of his son. Pretty wise lady. We have to take care of ourselves if we're going to take care of others. It doesn't do you any good to run yourself into the ground Doing things if you're running, if you're hurting yourself. So he took care of his physical needs. Every day the angel would come. And have you ever been in that, that so tired that somebody comes and, and they're, they're kind of afraid you know, to wake you up because it's like, are you alive? Right? Yeah, are you alive? And the angel would come and he'd say, Elijah, are you, Elijah, wake up. I got dinner for you. I got dinner for you. And there was the bread and the water. I want you to notice that, that Elijah ate very simply when he was trying to recuperate. God knows how to take care of us, doesn't he? He brought him simple things, bread and water. That's what he needed. He needed to replenish. And what happened? He went right back to sleep. Sometimes we just need to let our physical bodies restore. And that may mean, hey, I can't do everything I'm invited to at Christmas time. I can't do it all. We can let things go. When Jesus was with his disciples, he knew this. In Mark chapter 6, the, he had sent his disciples out to preach all over. And he said, go out and heal the sick and, and, and lay hands on the demons and, and, and remove them. He said, go out and preach the gospel in all of the villages. And when they came back, in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 6, it says, And the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that he had, they had done and taught. And he said to them, what? Oh, hey, good job, guys. No, what did he say to them? Come away by yourselves to a secluded place. Boy, that was a tongue twister. And rest a while. For there are many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. He said, come away. Come and rest. You see, when God is using us in a mighty way, we have got to set aside time to rest. God himself, Jesus himself did that. Psalms 23, right? 
the wonderful song of the good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do for his flock? He says, what? He makes me to lie down in the green pastures in my Tempur-Pedic mattress. <laughs> he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still water. And he what? Restores my soul. Wow. God is in the restoration business. So one of my favorite places to be is on the river. I love doing multi-day river trips where nobody else is around. I find a camp spot and I, and, and I just lay down, throw my tarp out and I'll lay down by the river and just listen. What a way to fall asleep. He restores my soul. Well, God still has work for him to do. He, he has a long journey ahead. Verse 8 says that you've got 40 days to go. He, he says you're not, you're not all the way there yet because you're not fully restored. I got one more thing to do and it's going to be on the Mount of Horeb. So he walks and he gets to the Mount of Horeb and there God took care of Elijah's spiritual needs. You see, it's really hard to hear God's word speak to us if we're exhausted. You, you ever done that thing where you're reading your Bible and you go, Pump, right? You know, if we're so exhausted, so first he took care of his physical needs and then he says, Elijah, I'm going to take care of your spiritual needs. Look at verse 9. Then he came to a cave and lodged there and behold, what? The word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord came to him. Psalms 119. Right in the middle of the Bible, the longest chapter, and all but I think about a half a dozen verses talk about the word of God. In Psalms 119.24 it says, Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. God's word tells us what we need to know. He's our healer. He's the one who, who counsels us in the way to go forward. Psalms 119.25, my soul cleaves to the dust. Have you ever been there? Things have been so dry spiritually. Revive me according to your word. Psalms 119.28, my soul weeps because of grief, strengthen me according to your word. Psalms 119.81, my soul languishes for your salvation. I wait for your word. The word of God is where we hear and Elijah is going to hear from him. And he, God calls Elijah to stand alone before him. He didn't bring anybody else to the cave to come alongside of Elijah. He said, I'm going to speak to you alone. And there are times when we need to get alone with God. We need to talk to him. Jesus, when he talks about our, the way we should pray, he says, but you, when you pray... Go into your inner room, close the door, 
pray to your Father in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Go into the inner room. Close yourself away. Listen to God. Matthew 14 talks about Jesus. And after he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. If Jesus needs to get alone with his Father, how much more do we need to get alone? He called him out. He called him out. Sometimes you need to come apart before you fall apart. Because we can get so busy doing God's work that we forget that sometimes we need to come apart. Now I want you to notice when God comes to speak to him. It says that he came first in a great wind. I mean a wind that's breaking stones and knocking trees over. Anybody remember the Columbus Day storm? (laughs) There's a few of you here. Right? The great winds came. But what does it say? God was not in the great wind. And then what happened? The earthquake came. Was God in the earthquake? No. And then it says what? The fire came. And God was not in the fire. But finally it says, and then there came And some of your Bibles may read a gentle blow, a light wind. But I I actually love the translation, a still, small voice. It's a whisper. It's a whisper. God, you know, sometimes we get into this idea that, oh, if I can just go to a... a, uh, Women of Faith, a big seminar, right? With thousands of women. Or if I can go to a a promise keepers with thousands of men, then I'm going to hear from God. Sometimes we, we get this idea that if I can just do something with a lot of people around me and get excited, it'll fix it. But most of the time, God speaks when you're all alone with a whisper. Now, why did God whisper? Any ideas? God whispers because you've got to pay really close attention to what he says. When somebody whispers to you, you put your ear right down next to them and you listen very intently. And that's what we have to do when God whispers to us. We have to listen intently to what he has to say. And that's what he did. He got his full attention. Now, if we look at verse 10, where Elijah says, when God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And and he says, I'm the last one left. I've been preaching the word and, and, and Israel hasn't repented. And I'm all alone and now they want to kill me. Did that change from 10 to 14? Nope. In Elijah's mind, he's still in the same place. They're still after him. They still want to kill him. 
it didn't change. And it would have been real easy for Elijah to say, it hasn't changed. The worst time to quit is when you're down. The worst time to give up is when you're discouraged. You need to, to see it through. You need to listen. And God gave Elijah something very specific to do. See, what was Elijah's problem? I'm all alone. God, you've left me here to do all of this by myself. Sound familiar? Right? You've left me. And there are times when you may feel that God has left you, but he hasn't. He says, I've got, I've got something else for you to do, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I want you to know you're not going to do it all by yourself. We were never designed to take on the ministry all by ourselves. God gave Elijah specific people for him to invest in. He said, you're going to leave here and you're going to go, and the first stop you're going to make is not at the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. The first place you're going to stop is with a foreign king by the name of Haziel. He was a Gentile king, the king of Aram. And he says, you're going to anoint him king over Aram because I'm going to use Aram to do my work. And then he said, the next place you're going to go is to Jehu. He was the king, he was to be the king of Israel. And then the third place he sent him was to the next big prophet, Elisha, who's going to become his protege. He invested in people, and God has used this formula over the years. Moses, who did he have? Joshua. Moses invested in Joshua. Who did Jesus have? Well, he had the 12. He invested in 12, but there were three special guys, right? Peter, James, and John, that he took aside every chance he had. Paul invested in Timothy, and Timothy became probably a greater preacher than Paul did. And Barnabas invested in a little guy by the name of John Mark, who gave us the book of Mark and became an amazing preacher. You see, God has always told us that we need to invest in others if we're going to succeed in the ministry. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul writing to his young protege, he says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We have to invest in others. And then God assures him that you're not alone. In verse 18, he says what? And yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth who have not kissed him. 7,000. You thought you were all alone. But there's 7,000 out there who love me just as much as you do. 
You see, God has called us into this thing called the church. Why? Because we can't do it alone. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. We can't do it alone. God called us together. And he, he equipped us together, right? 1 Peter 4.10. Each one has received a special gift. All of us. You, I, every one of us have a special gift. Employ it serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We all have a place to fit. And you know, one of the reasons sometimes that we burn out is because we take on too much. We have to, you know, well, well, there's a need. Oh, well, well, nobody else volunteered, so I'll do it. Oh, well, we have a need over here. Well, okay, I can do this and I can do this over here. And it may not be in my spiritual gift, but I can, I can do it because there's a need. I got news for you. Just because there's a need, that doesn't mean you have to fill it. Just because there's a need doesn't mean that you're the one to do it. Sometimes we need to just say, okay, God, this is an opportunity for somebody with that spiritual gift to step up to the plate and take it on. Sometimes we just have to learn to say, no, absolutely. It's okay to say no. If God hasn't called you to do that, you don't have to fill it. God will fill it in his timing. Psalms 46.10 says, Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Some of the other translations say what? Be still and know that I am God. In this holiday season that's coming up, I'm going to challenge you to focus on God. It's not about Black Friday or Cyber, what, what is it, Cyber Monday. It's not even about Giving Tuesday or whatever other neat things that they come up to try to get, get more out of you. It's about a gift. It's about a gift that was given to each one of us. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that gift was a little baby. And we're, we're coming to Christmas time. And a lot of times we forget because we have, the world has, has come alongside and tried to steal Jesus' birthday. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't like people stealing my birthday. But the world has. The world has stolen Jesus' birthday. And so for this next month, when things come up, and you're like going, oh, wow, I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I've got to go shopping over here, and I've got to buy, and I've got to do... I want you to think, will this glorify Jesus? Well, what I'm doing this Christmas season, will it glorify our Lord? 
Because we celebrate a gift for us. Jesus was the greatest gift that was ever given. And it was given for us, and it came in the form of a little baby in a manger, but it didn't stop there. Because, you see, that gift was fulfilled on the cross. That gift was nailed to the cross for you and I. And as we come to communion, that's what we remember. We don't, Jesus didn't say, remember the little baby that was born in the manger. He said, no. Remember the cross, because that's where my body was broken for you. That's where my blood was shed for your sin, was on the cross. He says, remember that.